Hey guys, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode of the Woodsong Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Larson, and today we have a really, really special interview that I'm very excited about. It's with Tim Smith, who's a master main guide and a bushcraft educator. He's the founder of the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School based out of Masardis, Maine, and he's been a close friend and mentor to me for about the past six or seven years, and I wanted to bring him on to the podcast to speak about bushcraft education, particularly higher education, which he's very, very involved in. I believe he's run more immersion programs than anyone else in the world and definitely in the United States. On top of teaching bushcraft at a school, Tim is also responsible for being an incredible consultant for many TV shows uh, based on the survival genre, everywhere from... uh, way, way, way back at Man vs. Wild to Naked and Afraid. He's done a great job with that, been very successful, and I think there's no one better uh, to have on here to discuss the topic of higher education in the field of bushcraft. A lot of folks have wondered, you know, what... what they have to do to become a bushcraft educator or an instructor. And if you turn that into the Google machine, it'll come up with a bunch of probably really, really bad uh, articles and and pieces of information, YouTube videos for you to look at. So rather than just doing that, I decided to take the source uh, here and do a podcast interview with him. Uh, So sit back and relax. It's about an hour right on the dot. And we're happy that you guys clicked the play button. All right, so I'm ready to roll whenever you are. Man, you have Kleenexes there. That's fancy. All I have is a drink. A roll of toilet paper. Oh, I've got a 64-ounce guide canteen full of whiskey. Oh. <laughs> Too bad you can't call it a water bottle, you know, because it doesn't have water in it. It's the guide canteen. It's yeah, the, the guide, guide canteen. It's only the guide's business. <laughs> this is uh, this is a stretch of my technological understanding and capabilities <laughs> to... Uh, to pull this off so you know for those of you out there in podcast or video land you you know treat us gently with a grain (laughs) of salt right i am not a technological expert so yeah you know i'm not i'm not either um i'm happy things are getting like easy now it's not yeah you know you know five ten years ago you had to actually know about stuff to like do stuff now these companies just make it super easy for you, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. But, it was uh, so incredibly complicated. I remember, like, I'm going to date myself, but I remember before YouTube, a friend and I shot, like, a silly little video, and we were trying to, like, put it on the internet, and it was the hardest thing ever. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yep, yep. It's much better now that you just plug things in and hit start, and it starts. Right, so that's, right, definitely. That's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, it used to be difficult back in the day. I'm like the worst millennial ever, too. So I'm the you same. Like, like I, I don't know how things work. I don't have like a a Snapchat or anything like that. I I'd rather not make myself look like a puppy. You know, <laughs> you know. I I think I advances in the poop emoji are exactly what they they may seem to be. You know, it's not not something that really concerns me a bunch. Yeah. So just to get everybody up to speed, Sam here uh, came out to the field school in northern Maine. Was it? I don't remember what year it was. It was a while ago. You were a young guy who had just graduated from high school. Yep. And I, I've got some old photos. Maybe I'll trickle out to uh, to prove that. Um, <laughs> 
but had a great experience with us, or at least I think it was. It was good enough for you to come back the following summer. Had spent some great time with our mutual friend Tom Moore, a.k.a. Whiskey Jack, uh, a.k.a. the Tomahawk. And we could probably go on with about 50 more AKAs, but uh, in the mountains of Arizona and has since um, embarked on your own career of, of teaching, instructing. You've done some some television work, you know, so so where are you at now? You're you're still in Lincoln, Nebraska, correct? Yeah, I'm still in Nebraska. I, uh, I, I leave the state a lot for... Uh, instructing and teaching sometimes. Uh, most of the instructing I do in the state is for really young kids, so like elementary age. Um, so I do quite a bit of that, uh, depending on the season. And a, a writer, I published uh, a book back in December. Uh, and then beyond that, uh, you know, I'm an, I'm an accidental showbiz person. Uh, you know, nice. I never, never actually wanted to necessarily be on TV, but the opportunity came up and it sounded like fun. And so I I did it, and uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at now. I'm doing a lot of writing, uh, freelance instructing, and looking at definitely some some pretty great future plans for the rest of 2018. Uh, I think things will be going probably a lot different this time next year as far as the teaching scene. Got some things up my sleeve that I just can't reveal yet, but uh, yeah, that's that's where that's what I'm up to at the moment here. And uh, awesome, the the thing. Uh, the thing I find interesting is I talk about like I was there when I was 18. So I'm, I, I turned 25 this year. So seven years, it doesn't seem like seven years to me at least. Um, wow. Makes me but, feel old. <laughs> so, so Tim over at, at, at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft campus, it's not like right off the, right off the main highway type deal. Like you are in the boonies when you get there. Um, and, and, when you go on your canoe trips, you're even more in the boonies, you know, way, way more than just at your regular field school even. But uh, one of the things for me, you actually, you're there on campus the whole time. It's not one of those like commute there three days a week type programs. And it's also, um, you know, you're, you're living outside the whole time. When I was there, we didn't have the well dug yet. There was one structure on site and, uh, yeah, we're, we're bleaching our water every day, our drinking water, and so it was. It well, was maybe uh, not every day. Not every. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone hates the jerk who puts too much bleach in the water. You're like, man, but yeah, uh, well, yeah, and good. but you you've done like some crazy things to to the the field school since I was there. Like you you dug a well when I was there. What what have you been doing at the school since then? The biggest thing is the 15,000-square-foot casino and ballroom that we put in last year. Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, we've, you know, trickling in the infrastructure at the field school little by little, year after year. So, um, you know, we finished off our one main uh, office cabin. We built a 12-by-24-foot pavilion. We, we got a library cabin from the Amish up there where they will build it throw it on a flatbed truck and just come and drop it off so there's no construction on site. Obviously a well, um, we've got a pond, uh, and this year coming up we're going to uh, build a, a second teaching area in the whereabouts that we call Moose Vegas, which is our student <laughs> camp. Um, so we're going to clear some clear a little bit of ground there and maybe put in a second well. We'll see. Good times in Moose Vegas. 
Yeah. By the way, if you're not if you're not familiar, Moose Vegas is yeah, it's it's kind of around down the trail from your primary camp, and it's it's kind of like a little more swampy and tons of moose. And so as everything gets a fun nickname there, you know that's your Moose Vegas. Uh, we we actually uh, we've got a friend who's one of the editors for Down East Magazine, and they did an episode a while back where they had a map of Maine with like five or six kind of colorful things thrown on there. So Moose Vegas was in a graphic in Down East Magazine. Nice, so. <laughs> made the cut. Makes That's it legit. Awesome. Well, it's <laughs> to me. A lot of people might be thinking like, ah, oh, you make you know you put another cabin on it, you know, and, and your your bushcraft camp. Come on, you know, why can't you just rough it and and all that? But uh, the the fact that it has a couple amenities at this point, I think, is really beneficial to the students that come. Because a lot of the work you want to get done there is is pretty academic, um, not in a boring kind of way, but in like a it's nice to have a, a little warm place to study for a little while and to look through books and to store books where the mice won't chew them up and, and stuff like that. So um, I, I think it's awesome that you've been able to, to kind of make all these improvements to uh, to your school and. Uh, Probably the biggest uh, improvement. I guess we should probably talk about like actually what your big deal is because you run week long and occasionally like weekend little courses, but your bread and butter is the immersion courses. So tell us a little bit about like what are the the long term courses that you do um, at Jack Mountain. Sure. Yep. Uh, so we run a nine-week semester course. We run it in the spring and the fall. Uh, most years, I think in 19, we're only going to run a fall one, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, nine weeks, people come, they camp and live on site in tents and shelters they build themselves. We go off into the forest on extended canoe trips, um, You know, basically cooking every meal over a fire for nine weeks and um, learning all the, the plants, the mammals, the natural history, the skills. And these are uh, college accredited. So we have uh, two articulations now, one with uh, Western State Colorado University in Colorado. And we just got on board with the University of Maine system, specifically the University of Maine at Presque Isle, which is our local branch. And, and we're also covered by the GI Bill. So we have a lot of diversity in the students who come out, you know, lots of returning veterans as well as college students and then you know other people who just want to go out and spend a couple of months living in the woods so it's a neat it's a neat mix awesome yeah it's great so like what are your that that's like some serious stuff not everyone is just like oh yeah i think i've got a spare two months in the fall that i can go hang out with uh you know become a a guide or you know learn about how to guide people in the outdoors what 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 are the primary demographics of the students that you get um that's really difficult it changes year to year i mean i can look back and say who's come before demographically but it's very difficult to sort of look forward and prognosticate on who's going to show up next year so it's always interesting it's uh i like to think that we have probably the most colorful characters that are walking <laughs> around on planet earth you know, a lot of them tend to spend a few months at our place, right? It is never, ever boring. Um, and the, you know, there are just a lot of just camp shenanigans and, and hilarities that, that go on. And it, it, it's, it's, sometimes it's pretty ridiculous, but we still manage to get quite a bit done. Um, but yeah, we tend to skew 
we're a little bit less than half a uh, military veteran at this point, um, maybe 25, 30, maybe even 40% college students uh, that are actually going for college credit. And then there's always one or two sort of older folks on a course who are just, you know, looking for a change. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's important to know that like you've got all these, all these different folks, um, around because you know the the rumor was out for a short amount of time that it was kind of like a hippie hangout at the Jack Mountain <laughs> School which is really I really <laughs> really not true at all you know a ton of veterans at this point with the GI bill which is awesome it's great to see them all um i even had a a friend a buddy of mine who's a veteran here from Nebraska who did your your fall program last year so it's great sure, to see yeah. the the veteran folks, uh, you know, heading out there and doing that, and and really uh, making it a great time to to have in the woods, learning a new career, and and just being able to be more self sufficient out in the natural world. Um, and especially yeah. for the veterans, um, you know, we are not a therapy program, but it is definitely is therapeutic to spend several months out. You know, and, you know, there are some people coming back that, that have some issues and that have some challenges. And, and you know, we like to we like to think that that for them spending two months in the woods without all the pressures of of 2018, you know, is very is just good for the it's good for the heart, good for the soul, good for the head. And um, again, we're not a therapy program. That's not what we set out to do in the morning to get accomplished that day. But just being outside, kind of living by the rhythms of the sun and the moon and, and all that is very therapeutic. Yeah, one of the things that you kind of learn when you've been in the outdoors for a while is that Mother Nature is like really the best instructor for you. So you don't have to be a great therapist if you structure your, you know, if you structure your program correctly. Mother Nature sure. takes care of that. Uh, you know, you don't have to necessarily tell people uh, like, hey, this is the best knife to use if you put them in the situation where they have to answer to kind of like the natural world the natural world will teach them that rather than you having to tell them like the, uh, exactly. Right. So you can, you can just go out and see for yourself. Hey, is this the best knife for, for bushcraft? Well, why don't you spend some time in the woods and then mother nature will, will tell you <laughs> yourself. Yeah. That's what we, people show up. We've had people show up with all kinds of goofy knives and goofy equipment over the years. And you know, something I learned very early on in this line of work was that never say anything bad about anybody's stuff, right? Because for some reason, it, it's like, you know, when you walk into a, a car dealership, they sort of size you up and, and they figure we're going to show them this line of car because they think that it'll be like an extension of your personal ego. So yeah. you never trash talk somebody's knife, but I, I, you know, people will say, Hey, what do you think of this knife? I say, I don't know. Well, come back and ask me again in two weeks. And I guarantee we'll know if it's good or not. Yeah. You know, like, hey, uh, you know, <laughs> Amazon's still deliver here, Tim, because uh, we're thinking <laughs> of very, very good stuff. Yeah, it's it's always interesting. We even had uh, one of my best best gear memories of Jack Mountain was our our mutual buddy Big Fish, who uh, would walk around in his uh, his Crocs and wool uh, wool socks around camp from time to time. <laughs> he got pretty well known for that. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> so on the topic of like like higher education stuff, um, you've done a lot of it, right? You've done how many semester programs at this point? Forty-one long-term Four? immersion programs. So forty-one long-term immersion pro. You'd be hard pressed to like find another program that's done forty-one 
of these, and that's since since '99, right? Yeah, we're a, a this is our 20th year, and I like to say that we're a 20 year overnight success. Yeah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it and when it comes to it, back then, late '90s, it's like most people didn't even know the word bushcraft in the late '90s. I used to. I tell this story often, but when when I started this uh, business and I said, you know, bushcraft, they're like, people assume that I was the guy that took the clippers and made the bushes look like Mickey Mouse at Disney World. <laughs> Is that Topi area? It might be, but that's what they thought bushcraft was. Yeah. Um, anyway, and, and now the pendulum has swung all the way to the other direction where you know, the term bushcraft in many regards, in my opinion, has sort of jumped the shark in that, you know, if you go onto some online forums, they're like, what are the best bushcraft pants or the best, yeah. you know, it's just like <laughs> most things when they become popular, they get completely co-opted by the marketers. And now it's all about, you know, selling usually crappy pieces of gear. So right. one that's of the, where we're at now. Exactly. One, one of the many lessons I learned at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School is that if, uh, if anyone tells you there's one way to do something, they're probably trying to sell you something. That's so true. <laughs> so true. Did I come up with that or did someone else? I don't know. Claiming it. Might it. have been. Uh, Claiming yeah, it. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. It's mine. Original. Love it's it. not. Um, that's awesome. So in, uh, I think we should also go back to like how we met kind of for the first time because I just shot you a random email basically and was like, Hey, I'm in, I'm in high school. <laughs> so I was, a, yeah, I was a senior in high school, I believe when I emailed you for the first time. And, uh, I said, you know, what, uh, how would this benefit me? What do you do on this course? So I'm going to kind of throw that back at you and say that you got an email from, a person who's like 17 or 18 so they're like fresh and new and they want to be a bushcraft instructor like just blanket they want to teach bushcraft or survival skills in north america <clears throat> what do you what do you tell that person what's the best way for them to go from uh like a high school punk uh like me like i was back then to a qualified bushcraft instructor like full full circle um, through you and through, you know, anyone else you can, you can think of if you want to mention any other programs. So we live in the era now, I'm going to say this and then I'll do my sort of canned response to that hypothetical cool. young person. Oh yeah, yeah. But we live in the era now where uh, we are living with the myth of the overnight expert and the instant instructor where everybody wants to go from knowing nothing to being like a full-blown, you know, celebrity, whatever, uh, you know, without putting in their dues. And it just takes a lot of time and expertise to be able to learn something and to get really good at it. So I use the example of how they register main guides now, but it could be maybe any trade that you don't go to being a master main guide after you've had your guide license for a year and you've led one or two trips, right? At this point in time, it takes 10 years to, to become a master main guide if you've had your guide license for all 10 years. So, but you know, let's put it in another industry. If you were an electrician and if somebody could pay a little bit extra money and become a master electrician after three weeks, like you want that guy wiring your house? 
Like I don't, you know, I'm, I'm happy that if I take my kid to the doctor, I'm usually pretty happy that they have to go to school for a long time and prove that they know what they're doing and really immerse themselves in it. Because if, you know, if someone could take a weekend, I'm going to fix up your kid workshop and then hang their shingle at the local hospital and you're, you know, whatever, you can sort of see the, the route that I'm going down. So the, you know, the long and the short of it is for a young person who's really interested in being an instructor, um, you know, you just got to put in your time. You've got to, you've got to go on those trips. You've got to, you know, light a couple of hundred friction fires, spend lots of nights out. Um, a good friend of mine, <laughs> I was visiting him a little while ago and it, it might be on a previous podcast of ours. Uh, Jeff Butler said, you know, he was talking to a, a martial arts instructor back when he was in the Canadian army. And the guy said to him, he said, listen, Jeff, everybody wants to be a black belt, but nobody wants to get punched in the face over and over again. So, <laughs> You know, if you think about becoming a, a, a reputable bushcraft or outdoor skills or survival instructor, you know, don't think about standing in front of a group at a big rendezvous and everybody's oohing and eyeing over you. Think more about all those horrible nights when you're laying out in some crappy shelter getting eaten alive by bugs or soaking wet from the rain or, you know, it's bitter cold out and everybody on the trip is having an attitude and, and all those things because that is what's going to make you reputable and competent. You know, putting in the time, essentially to use that other metaphor, you know, getting punched in the face over and over again. That's how you get the black belt. Um, yeah. See, I wouldn't know because I've never gotten any bug bites or been wet before. <laughs> but I'll take your I word have for that one. Pictures of you. I was looking through some old photos, and I have pictures of you where it was like you had the smallpox. I don't know if it was your arm <laughs> or your leg, but it was like, is that a human under those welts? You know, you couldn't really tell. <laughs> if you send me that picture, I'll plug it in here just so, so I, people can see. It's ridiculous. It. It's very bad. Very bad. I have scars from it. Scars to this day on my arms. Do you really? That. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Well, and from years and years after that. Because it, it never changes. You know, every yeah. summer, I'm. You know, they're everywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, I, and I, I would, I'd agree with you on that. As far as, like, long term, if you know right away you're like, I want to be um, a bushcraft instructor. Here, here's a follow-up to that. Do you think that college has to play a role in someone becoming a really good bushcraft instructor? Or in what way would a college degree be beneficial in that? Because there's lots of different ways to go about becoming fully educated as like a primo bushcraft instructor what are your thoughts so, on that i want to be on record as saying that more education is never a bad thing but you know i think that we've in the modern world maybe taken education and and made it sort of job training and i think you'd be very hard pressed to find a university education that's going to be good job training for being a bushcraft instructor that being said, you know, the more well-read you are, the more you know about the natural history of the area, all those things, probably the better off you'll be in the long run. But as vocational training, you know, and especially in this day and age when college prices are going through the roof, and, and tell me about it, I have two kids. Uh, they're not quite old enough yet, but it's definitely coming down the pike and it makes me nervous. <laughs> so the uh, – yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily a requirement, but it would never it would never hurt you, um, except maybe financially. Yeah, <laughs> except if you're going to like out of state university and it takes you 
you know, nine years to graduate or something like that. And yeah. Go into a hundred thousand in debt, but that's not every, yeah. And that's, go <laughs> that, ahead, I'm sorry. it's kind of the same way I feel about it. Like you can, if you actually know a hundred percent that you want to teach people in the outdoors, you can just pursue it for years and years of intense study and be awesome. Uh, at being, a, if you're actually talented at, you know, teaching and you enjoy that, um, but say you're someone who wants to teach bushcraft and survival, but hey, you also want to study it through the realm of like anthropology. Well, then you should probably go and you know find a good university and study anthropology or whatever for you know put in those years uh, if you want to spe- you know be specific in that that realm of uh, of study. Um, I think they call them. I think they call them majors. Uh, I've I wouldn't know, but uh, and for context, Tim, you have a you have a, a master's in education, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Undergraduate, um, actually, in anthropology. So. Oh, hey, there you go. There you go. I think I knew that, but it's it's <laughs> it's actually like real common in the well. I mean, not super common. It's more common to find like an accountant who is like, man, I hated my job, and then became you know a instructor somewhere else, but. They're not. The world isn't interested in, in in the story of someone who knew what they wanted to do and went and did it. Yeah. The world's interested in the story of like the, this former Facebook executive decided to pitch it all and go teach bushcraft, right? But right, right, if right. you've been teaching bushcraft for twenty years, those those reporters writing those stories just don't care. Right. There's no <laughs> there's no hook for them. It doesn't matter to them. Right. Right. I'm gonna try to double sync my audio here. Let me try to. This is this is Sam working magic. I'm doing a magic trick on. There we go. Okay, that should work. That's awesome. Yeah, the uh, it, it's interesting to see because you you don't want to send someone into like a bunch of debt. Like that's why we're we're kind of on polar opposites of like the educational field. So like you went super academic, but also um, you know did other very specific studies in like botany and things of that nature. Uh, whereas I just went straight into like career, like strict career training and like personal adventure endeavors. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but like for me, I probably recommend like definitely do an immersion program. Definitely do that. Um, definitely do something that involves you teaching somebody, whether that's teaching at like a, a community nature center, like what I do or the um, kind of the, the wilderness therapy programs are really, really good, like Anasazi out west, um, <clears throat> lots of other. Anasazi is like the, the big one, uh, you know, Wingate, the, all those. Um, I see a lot of people go into there, and they spend so much time teaching skills to people who don't want to learn those skills, and it makes them really, really talented and makes the person very well-rounded. So I... I think you know the second you turn 21 if you think you're up to it that's that's a good thing for people to to look into if only for you know during the summers uh it's a it's a good deal in my opinion um are there any like course wise any other schools that you'd say this you know this program is worthwhile worth doing you know uh I'm off the grid for six to seven months of the year. And to be honest, like I don't, 
you know, my knowledge of this industry is is probably 18 years old. So, I, you know, I'm not even sure who's in business anymore that much, you know, unless I see them personally or, or you know, keep in touch like like we keep in touch. So, you know, I, I don't I don't really know, to be honest with you, and I'd hate to, to lead people astray. Um, I will say, though, just just to follow up on that, that, you know, for someone who really wants to, and, and we've got a couple articles on this on our, or at least one article on our website that would probably be good to link to for that young person to read that, you know, there's several ways that people have made a living doing bushcraft and those include, uh, making and or selling gear, uh, guiding trips or facilitating experiences and then teaching skills. And then, in a lot of well as with any sort of job there's there's two main ways that you go about it either you look for a job working for someone else or you create a job working for yourself so probably the longest and hardest route is to create a job working for yourself teaching skills because the skill sets that you need to pull <laughs> that off you need to know your stuff right you need to know exactly like what the skills are and number two you need to know how to teach them so you need a background in education and it doesn't have to be a formal background, but, you know, knowing how to teach somebody things. Number three, you need those business and marketing skills to be able to to pull off running a small business. So, you know, there there are lots of books um, out there. The one that comes to mind is the E-Myth. And I can't remember the guy's name, but basically he says, if you really like being a baker, don't open a bakery because then you're not going <laughs> to bake very much. You're going to yeah. then be forced to, like, do accounting and write ads and do all these things. So, you know, I think the myth is for someone like me who's been doing this for, for two decades is that every morning you're out, you know, at dawn casting a dry fly to a rising trout. And that's just not realistic. You know, there's a lot of time spent behind the scenes doing background stuff. Do You know, for example, how many, how many times a week do I take trash to the dump? You know, we we have an off-grid camp, but man, we sure end up with a lot of like cans and bottles and plastic wrappers and stuff. We we compost everything that'll rot, but you know, there's the going to the dump and scrubbing toilet buckets from the humanure system, and you know, all the really <laughs> glamorous aspects of, of running a school, right? Yeah, and on on the topic of being off the grid, when Tim says he hasn't really kept up on things for the last 18 years, the the first thing I learned when we. Uh, we met for the first time. We went to a, a grocery store to like get a couple staples, like potatoes and you know just you know, stuff like that, dry goods. And uh, he pointed to one of the tabloids and he says, "This is where I get all my news." <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so for the last year, he he can't tell you like general things that have happened, like you know if there's an earthquake in in uh, Bora Bora or wherever. I don't know. He, he probably hasn't heard of it. <laughs> He knows who the Kardashians are are dating or married to, or how many babies they have, though. So he knows the real important details. He just celebrity know, Tim, breakups. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm an amateur <laughs> celebritologist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's another thing to add, you know, about it, when you live in the woods. You know, for my program, it was, you know, at least like four or five weeks the first time. When I came back, it was another like two or three weeks, and. And, uh, you know, Tim is really humble and stuff when it comes to bushcraft, but he's just a complete jerk when it comes to uh, 90s pop culture. You know, you just can't, he just thinks he knows everything about it. So it's. Well, my popular culture references ended in 1993, right? Like, <laughs> that was when, you know, I left undergraduate, didn't have cable TV or anything like that. And so, yeah. They always, I see these. Uh, 
headlines like greatest TV show ever retiring after 10 years or something, and I've never heard of it. So that's the, <laughs> that's you know, awesome. I'm the one guy I, I never saw. What was it? NYPD Blue. That's probably an off the air forever. That you know, I still think, <laughs> oh, that's that new show or yeah, NYPD you know, Blue. Never seen Game of Thrones or any of that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I haven't seen I, Game I of Thrones. No, I haven't. I don't, uh, <laughs> Anyway, well, I have a friend who's a boss instructor, though. On the other side, you know, if, at this day and age, if you really want to, I have a friend who's a boss instructor who who won't miss an episode of Game of Thrones. He'll find out some way. He's probably he's probably missed a couple, you know, if he's out teaching or or something like that. But, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> the technology these days, it's hard to. I like to jokingly say, in uh, 1995, my undergraduate degree, fresh in hand. I bought a $500 12-foot-long travel trailer and dragged it up to Alaska and lived in it for a year. And it was awesome. I loved it. But that was the last time I've ever really been a Because for me, anyway, that was pre-internet. Um, you know, there weren't cell, cell phones. Maybe some people had them. I didn't have them. So this was still in the era, and you might not even get this, but there was this thing called long distance where calling somebody on the phone, if they weren't in the same town as you, cost like three bucks a minute. So, you know, I was scrapping by financially, and I'm certainly not going to make like $40 telephone calls on a regular thing. So when I left, I remember I shook my, gave my uh, parents a hug, shook a couple of friends' hands, said, hey, I don't know when I'll see you, um, but I'll see you sometime. And, you know, I, I wrote physical letters, you know, because that was still, I don't know what a stamp was back then, you know, 20 cents or whatever, but everything else was just super expensive. And now... You can go anywhere and you're, you know, you're not off the grid. What was it? Some guy on the International Space Station, I saw a headline, watched the Star Wars movie. They just like zip, uploaded it to them. And <laughs> so now I see people in the field. They're on our courses on long expeditions with, you know, sat phone hookups and they'll download their show and watch it in their tent at night. So no you know, way, really, really. It's a, uh, yeah. So to, to sort of cut yourself off from that at this point, it's a personal choice, right? It's not like the technology isn't there to, uh, to keep you firmly, you know, on the on the hook, if you yeah, will. yeah, absolutely. Like right now, at this point, uh, high speed internet in like no matter where you want to go in the world is pretty easy. Like you get a big enough satellite dish, hook it up, and you're like you're ready to roll. Um, yeah, a, a couple of glitches from time to time, but it's really not a big deal. Um, uh, that's something I've learned in the last year that that's possible. I was like, oh my goodness, but. Uh, we, we should probably touch a little bit on, tell us about your year. So you went to Alaska after undergrad for a year, lived out of a, a little tiny 12-foot trailer, right? And uh, tell us about why'd you go there and what'd you do as part of that experience? Because I, there are some little nuggets in there that you did that are just really, really interesting. So we did a, I met some people, we did a 30-day primitive camp in the uh, Kenai National Wildlife Refuge. Um the summer before and then the guy who was kind of hosting he and i hit it off so i came home i had a couple of family responsibilities at that point when i when i got out or, or finished those uh purchased the trailer drove up there and and kind of he mentored me a lot with regards to wild plants he was an awesome uh fisherman and and definitely got my uh fishing skills up to snuff up there, you know, with big Alaskan fish. It wasn't, you know, catching smallmouth bass on or largemouth bass in ponds and things. It was, you know, big 
king salmon red salmon runs so um yeah and just had a just had a blast up there i also worked with that guy washing windows and we're still in contact to this day still great friend and mentor to me so you washed window you didn't you also did some some botany studies up there Oh, yeah, I took a community college class at Kenai Peninsula, Peninsula College with Boyd Schaefer, the flora of South, ah, the flora of South Central Alaska. Uh, awesome class, awesome guy, like just epic, totally, totally fantastic. Nice. And then, oh, gosh, there's so many like interesting things. Were you in a you wrote a letter to, to Dick Prenicky, too. The big yeah, so alone Boyd, in Alaska guy. So, so pe- people would be interested in this. What? How'd that go down? Boyd Schaefer, who taught the class, the botany class, uh, I, he knew Dick somehow. And we got to talking. And, and this was before he had written a – it was basically his book, but it came out in a magazine called Alaska Geographic like years before – and then, so I wrote him a letter. He wrote me back, and I still have the letter. I think it's, I think it's right over here, but I'll, I'll look for it in a second. We did a blog post you could link to where it's the letter scanned in Dick Prenicky's handwriting. It's a few years old. But we'll link that anyway. up. That'll be in the show notes, guys. In the show yeah. notes, if I remember, and I won't. But <laughs> that's you can awesome. see Dick Prenicky's handwriting. Um, yeah, but I was just a young guy, and I just sort of asked him about his life and, and asked him if he had any advice to someone who was really interested in kind of living in remote places and stuff. And, you know, he he didn't know me from Adam, so he uh, wrote back a very nice letter, and, you know, I still have it to this day. And that's it's awesome. funny. It's always funny, like, you do things when you're young, and then and then 20 years later, that person that you interacted with becomes this huge celebrity and everybody knows your name and you're like hey look there's the letter from you know, so-and-so so <laughs> the written handwritten letter yeah it's awesome yeah so <laughs> yeah so again talking about technology just wrapping that bit up was that for me that was the last time it was really like you were away like our field school yes we're off the grid there are no wires that come in but there's a cell tower three or four miles away so you know ironically someone can be in their primitive shelter that they built looking at their phone on youtube reading about or watching videos about primitive shelters right yeah. <laughs> like, the irony isn't lost me the, the beauty of maine though is that um so many spots in northern maine most of it there is no cell coverage still because it's just remote working forest there are no towns or anything so uh that's a good thing but if you know if people are hooked up with the satellite technology which gets easier and easier every year then that's not a that's not a thing so we've actually had discussions, and, and amongst our staff, we will have discussions about: Do we want to bring? Is this the year we want to break down and get a satellite phone or get a satellite hookup for safety? <laughs> yeah, and and it's a you know it's a conscious decision, and we've always said no because that really changes the mentality of the people on the trip. Um, wh- whereas if you have that expectation of rescue, uh, you know maybe you take more chances than you need to. And I was actually quoted a couple of years ago, interviewed in, I think it was Outside Magazine or Nat Geo or, or one of them. Anyway, they were talking about people who had gotten lost and what's the, what is the role of, of technology in the backcountry. And, you know, that expectation of rescue, that, that expectation of having that lifeline to the outside world increases the risks that people take. You know, anecdotal, I don't have data to, to back that up. Um, so, you know, to this day, we still say, Hey, if we're going off for a couple of weeks away from where there's cell coverage, we're consciously not bringing that level of technology to let us call back. 
and who knows, maybe in a few years the insurance companies will require it um, and maybe we'll have a change of heart and say, hey, we're going to start carrying that technology. We've also been very fortunate in that, you know, we're really on people, um, especially on remote expeditions about safety, right? Like if someone doesn't know how to swing an ax safely, I don't want them on a trip with me because if we are somewhere far out and someone chops their leg, like trips over right then, and it's just a basically a rescue operation to try to get them to the hospital before they lose a limb. You know, and we all have the required medical training and things, but again, it's just a it's a conscious decision to limit that amount of technology. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And very, very important to know that like before you go off on most of these big trips, you spend some time at the field school where you're, um, I mean, when I was there, we, we were cutting trees basically every day, you know, every yeah. day using an axe, using your knife to, to prepare things. It's part of a lifestyle element of the training. And so when you go on those big, long trips, you're not you know terrified that someone's going to lose a limb or it, it still could happen, but it hasn't. Right, and all these yeah, years the wood. hasn't happened yet. You <laughs> know, we uh, actually added in. We have prerequisites for our longer trips now, in that people have to have studied with us, and we have to kind of know them. Just because the you know having people show up and on day one of like a two week snowshoe expedition trying to cover how to use an axe safely, verify that everybody's using using it safely, then snowshoe five miles and set up tents and get firewood and it's just too much so so we now have uh some prerequisites for uh, participating on those trips nice very nice so uh i think i'm asking all the questions this is also for tim's podcast (laughs) so we should make it a little bit about me yeah so what tv no shortage of things to you know (laughs) talk about what TV show on, is it? Yeah. Oh, um, I want you to tell the audience. Oh, the most the, the last one. Okay, yeah. So uh, the Have last you been one. On more than one. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been pretty heavily involved in the whole like uh, casting scenario. Like, if if you ask how many have actually been on, it's one. If you ask how many have been a part of, it's closer to like three or four. As far as like getting into the casting and then learning about things. So definitely being a part of casting and multiple shows tells you quite a bit about like the politics of the industry, which is never any fun. Uh, You know, like I said, I I started in showbiz because it was an outlet to spend more time outside. And Mm -hmm. uh, basically almost four years, just less than four years ago, got a phone call that said, hey, they're doing a new show where... Uh, they're dropping a number of guys. They're all, all going to be completely alone in the wilderness. It's just going to be them, some camera gear, and they get to choose uh, 10 items to survive with. And we're going to do it. Uh, they didn't tell me this at the time, but about three weeks before we flew out, they said, hey, we're going to British Columbia. Um, and uh, that show became what is now Alone on History. So I was on the first season, and... Uh, it was surprisingly it was exactly what they told us it was going to be, which probably the first uh, survival television show in history to actually be what they told <laughs> people it was going to be. Uh, you know, going into things. So literally, yeah. they they I flew in on a seaplane. We, you know, we landed. They said, 
actually uh this this producer is in the plane behind me and he he points at a little tag like one of those little hunting trail marker tags and he says you see that that's where we left your camera crap and then they pull over and take off so that's the last <laughs> thing anyone said to me hey your camera crap's all under the tree uh <laughs> I love and the voice and, and we left some cigarettes too. <laughs> yeah, we left you some cigarettes and a beer and some nudie magazines in there. So, you know, uh, but uh, not that. But uh, but and by the way, they don't do that. They don't just bring you fun stuff every once in a while. It's you know very strict, like competition wise. That, that's like the what alone is the competition. You know for for money, but really it's it's about an experience and a, a really awesome solo experience and. I remember I kind of sat on a log and waited for the TV magic to come and and uh, produce, and then nothing happened. So I said, "Oh, I better get a shelter set up." And and uh, I I ended up leaving 55 days later and going back to Nebraska. I was I was second place on on uh, that first season there, and it's just it's been fun to watch the show grow and progress and and give so many people with uh, a really good skill set the opportunity to go out and kind of represent. Uh, what they do, whether it's, you know, herbalism or, you know, bow hunting or, uh, crafting, incredible craftsmanship, um, all these great things. So I'm, I'm really happy to have been a part of it. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. I'm glad the, the experience ended up a, a positive one. So nice. I remember it's a very small, like world of, of people who were, uh, I don't know how to put this, but we get calls all the time from like casting directors and people who are like, Hey, we have the show idea. What do you think of it? And I remember when they called and talked about alone, they're like, we're going to take 10 people and drop them off in Alaska. And they're going to have to survive in for real last guy standing wins. And I'm, I remember talking to the guy, I'm like, there is no way that you're going to be able to pull that show off. Right. And, <laughs> and just because thinking of the logistics yeah. involved and the permits and whatever, and, so yeah, super excited that uh, that they were able to do it. Super happy for you that that you had a great experience there, um, and you know, good for them. For I, I spoke to somebody from uh, from there recently, last winter. I, I don't remember exactly when, um, and just congratulated them on you know the success of the show and that it's it's still going and it still has a you know it's got a pretty rabid fan base, which is which is awesome. You know, in this day and age, I think that the you know the pendulum with survival TV had swung so far that you know the the phone would ring every day and yeah. every day it was a stupider <laughs> idea for a show and you're just got to the point where you're like thanks but no thanks. <laughs> so it's nice that you know the one of the ones that is authentic is is still going. You know, but um, anyway. Yeah, and like in my opinion, if alone ever it's taken off the air, it'll be because one. The crew is so stinking tired of being in the field for that long with no access to the outside world. You know, you take it's tough on these producers. They grab them from, you know, if you get some guy who's just off with Real Housewives of Baltimore or whatever, and you're like, okay, your next show is alone. What do I do? Oh, well, you you sit in a, a tent and you wait for someone to tap out and then you go take them out of the woods with a medic. So it's like, it's a big deal. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's just the, the risk factor. Like it's, there's a legitimate risk if you're in the woods, if you're someone who makes a mistake. Uh, last I checked, you know, uh, unless you're an alien, you're probably going to make a, a few mistakes when you're in the woods. Um, we're all human. And, uh, or but that's just it. the nature of the woods, right? Even yeah. if you don't make a mistake. I, I worked on, um, 
first couple of seasons behind the scenes of Naked and Afraid. And during the pilot, one of the producers got bit in Central America by this snake. I think it's called a Ferdinand snake. Um, anyway, he was like in the hospital, almost died. They had to airlift him back to the United States. Like, so, you know, those things can happen. And yeah. Uh, so even if, you know, we always like to sort of say that if anything bad happens, oh, that person was stupid or whatever. But, you know, nature's full of, of things that'll get you. Even right. if you're at the top of your game. That's right. why they call them accidents. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and I I still go by the the realm of thinking where you're safer in the woods as long as you know what you're doing um, than you are like driving a, a vehicle. Like to this day, when I go out to the woods for a really long time, come back into town, and I have to ride in a vehicle, like it's terrifying because you're in this little tin can and you're going seventy five on the interstate. It's it's terrifying to me. It's so risky. But we you do it every day. We're with, used to it. Weren't you in the car with Greg when you guys hit a moose coming into the field school one night? <laughs> I mean, you were going two miles an hour when it, it ran into you more so. But yeah, it kicked, that, that was you, right? That was me. Yeah, that was me. We're <laughs> we're driving up. That's a, that's a long, hilarious story about uh, you know love and and friendship and moose and uh, <laughs> mini golf is also involved. So I can <laughs> see why though. Like I would be. I've hit I've hit a deer before, and I've almost hit up by the field school. If you drive at night, certain times a year, you're going to have to slam on your brakes because of moose, right? It's just yeah, they're it's everywhere. Just par for the course, uh, but and they're really huge animals. And I could definitely understand your take that as a man who's survived a moose crash, that to be terrified <laughs> of automobiles. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that was a that was hilarious crash because we're in this Pontiac Sunfire, which if you're not familiar with cars, it's, like, it's basically the smallest vehicle Pontiac has ever made. This little tiny vehicle loaded with like, and we're we're like sunk down on this thing because we've got like a wall tent in there and all of our gear and stuff, and we're heading up, and we we left way too late because these guys are just obsessed with playing mini golf. So we were playing mini golf in in Ogonquit, Maine, for so we love these guys, but it it was just it was funny. We got a, l- a little late start playing mini golf in Ogonquit, Maine, and. Uh, yeah, we're we're going up. We're like, man, we got to be real careful for moose. And then five minutes after one of us says that, the moose comes out. This huge cow moose, and we're going real slow. We slam on our brakes, and she kind of keeps running. And I remember she was running, and her legs just like hit repetitive, you know, in the front of the vehicle, like as we as we were trying to slow down. And it'd be great if Greg sees us because the first thing he said after we did that was. I gotta call my mom. I gotta call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. I, I still have. Again, I was looking through old photos the other day, and I have the photo that we took the next day of like the moose impact on the Pontiac <laughs> Sunfire. You know, it wasn't like the thing was total. It was a little dent. On the yeah, it was a little dent when it came out. It's crazy. But you still hit. It. I mean, a moose made it. You can still claim, and no one can call you a liar. That yep, I survived a moose crash. I hit. Yeah, we hit a moose. We had a moose strike. Whatever they call it. There's like a code for it up there in Maine. Yeah. We got a L7 or something like that. Awesome, man. That's great. That's great. But uh, you've actually had quite a few of your students like go on reality TV and consistently do really, really well. Yeah. Right? we. Like, uh, I think if we had to put it together, we could put together the reality TV dream team uh, <laughs> of Jack Mountain alumni. Um you know, Ryan Holt, uh, a.k.a. UConn, crushed it on Naked and Afraid and went back on their 
I think it's XL, like their sort of greatest greatest hits version. So he crushed it a couple of times. Yeah. So uh, so Ryan Ryan Holt uh, is kind of well known for being the guy who killed an alligator on yeah. uh, in the Everglades. <laughs> Which is, yeah. by the way, that's that's not an official skill being taught at Jack Mountain. Last I checked, is alligator hunting, but you know, learning a few basic concepts about about bushcraft, you yeah. got a little little boomstick together, kill kill the alligator, and then uh, uh, Jens Rasmussen as well did really really well on his show. Yeah, where they uh, migration was it? They hiked across Africa. Migrations, yeah. Yeah. Again, like I haven't seen most of these. <laughs> I hear about them third hand. Uh, but um, anyway, you know, I just super excited for everybody. And, you know, like in the case of you or Ryan or Jens, you know, I think that it has much more to do with the fact of the, the person that we're drawing to Jack Mountain than anything that they learned on the course, you know. Uh, so I would applaud you and your exploits um and certainly wouldn't want to try to take any credit for any of that but you know i just think that it's it's awesome that you've had such uh success with that and and you know who knows what the future will bring and i think it's great definitely there, there's that that kind of uh kinship in there of wanting to do some wilderness travel you know wanting to actually go out and have legitimate adventures rather than you know sitting around talking about the the best and brightest and, and most uh, extreme bushcraft knife that we can fall off cliffs with and, and still get out alive. You know? Right, yeah. So, so it's a lot more about uh, just really enjoying ourselves in the outdoors through, uh, you know, proper canoeing skills, proper camping skills, uh, learning how to, how to cook in the wilderness, um, things of that nature. Actually, Tim, that was a segue, planned segue, Tim has actually written a uh, a book that is a, a very good. Uh, I have it in the in the vicinity here, just not close enough to grab. But uh, <laughs> uh, selling for he's not making any money off of it, but he's selling it on Amazon for like less than ten bucks or something. And uh, yeah, this this uh, book is basically a rundown on your outdoor cooking system. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's called The Woods Cook, um, and it's just the systems that we use to manage food, to manage cooking kits, um, and then a few recipes uh, on remote expeditions or just living somewhere without any infrastructure. So it's not, you, you know, nothing that we do is is trying to be like a bestseller or become the flavor of the week. But, you know, if we think that it would be useful to people maybe before they come to a program or before they go on a long trip of their own, you know, that's why we put it out there that hopefully, you know, someone would find it, find it super useful. And, uh, we've had pretty good feedback with it. I don't know. It's been out there for four years or so. And <laughs> I think we've sold 11 copies. My mom just bought 10 of them. Uh, and then you're number 11. Hey, lucky number 11. Yeah, as car. you know, you know, yeah. in 2018, if you want to get rich and your name isn't Stephen King, don't plan to do it by writing books. No. But it's, but there's a really good, you know, it's really useful to, to put things down on paper and to commit to the writing process because it helps to get your head wrapped around uh, the the problem, so to speak, and, um, you know, put it down for posterity. Yeah, I was actually working on a, a vampire bushcraft novel for teens. Uh, nice. I think that'll be real successful, but otherwise, yeah, better better for doing it just for the the sake of learning. Um, That's the name of my band is uh, Teen Vampire Rock Band. 
You heard it here. But yeah, anyway, good book on. Uh, got my my headphones are broken, so I just shove them into my hat. I was wondering uh, about the hat. That's, uh, that's <laughs> yeah, I have good to... improvisation right there. Yeah, so my it's something you learn at Jack Mountain. Is, you know, I, my headphones <laughs> broke actually, so they they banned part of them. So I just have the ears. So uh, I just shoved them into a hat, and nice. then they they fit. And you know, it's been flawless up until about twenty seconds ago when it <laughs> fell out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, great. Any, uh, I mean, I, I touched on everything I wanted to touch on. Do you have anything else you wanted to mention here, Tim? So yeah, other, other than, uh, not really, but can you just tell them for our listeners and, and viewers, cause we'll put this online. Um, how do they find you? Yeah. So I am at woodsongwilderness.com. We're actually revamping, uh, the entire website, um, adding, you know, the, the podcast and blog and such. So I, I blog there, I podcast there, and so for learning about anything, uh, appearances, so to speak, which is just whatever bushcraft gathering I decide to drink coffee at uh, at the moment uh, for appearances and anything like that. So woodsongwilderness.com is is my personal website. Uh, Sam, yeah, what's my Facebook name? What am I on there as? On Facebook, I am... It's awesome technology loading. Sam, it's okay. So Samuel Larson dash Woodsong is what I'm under on, on Facebook. And then Tim to end your jackmtn.com. Yep. And we've got a bunch of websites, but you can access them all from there. Like this past year, we did a whole back end reformulating where we put the blog on a separate thing and we've got a whole bunch of stuff so but you, it's all easily linked together from there nice yeah. and an excellent and podcast as well right yeah we're on social media but don't follow us on social media don't don't bother they just changed all their algorithms you'll you know you'll click like or follow and you'll never hear from <laughs> us so go to the source in 2018 it's the year to uh to go to the source and and you know eliminate all the the Zuckerbergs of the world from being middlemen. <laughs> and it's it's uh, Jack Mountain Podcast is what it's under. There aren't a lot of bushcraft podcasts, surprisingly. Well, there, there's a lot of like prepper podcasts or whatever, but for, for actually talking about bushcraft, there's not many. Um, and so it's pretty easy to find. So Jack Mountain Podcast. Um, so awesome. Awesome. And I've got nothing else. I My, my brain uh, has run out of things. Uh, I've been fresh out of ideas for 15 years. I was recently told by a, a psychologist, like a literal psychologist that uh, she's like, has anyone ever told you, you like probably have ADHD? And I was like, well, you're the doctor, you know? <laughs> I was recently told that I'm so well-rounded that I have no point. <laughs> <Boom -boom. laughs> yeah. We'll be here all week. Try the fish. End it with a. Let's end with a pro tip. So I'll give one pro tip, and then you can give a pro tip. So uh, my. I'm not really my, sure what a pro tip is, but I'll I'll try to learn from the context of your pro tip. Yeah. So my pro tip is when you're guiding a group of people when they arrive to camp, what you should do is you should steal all of the the head guides jokes and tell them to the the newcomers in the camp before the head guide comes in. So that when he tells the jokes, it's just a bunch of blank stares. 
it, it's it's something that I employed as a teacher's assistant under Tim. We'd get new <laughs> students rolling in, and I'd tell them all of his jokes. And then he wow. rolled in, and he was like, "Huh, was it the presentation?" <laughs> The past is all coming together for me. It's like a puzzle pieces are just fitting together now. Uh, yeah, my pro tip is never have teaching assistants. It's just a horrible idea. <laughs> Nothing good will come out of it. <laughs> hey, Sam, listen, it's been awesome talking to you. I've got to go cook uh, some dinner for my for my kids here. But, hey, uh, great talking. Let's do it again before too long. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. You have a good one. You too. All right, so that's our interview with Tim. Thank you so, so much for listening. We appreciate it very much. And we hope that you guys will subscribe. Um, like us on Facebook. Uh, this podcast is going to be on the uh, iTunes. It's also going to be on an Android app soon, uh, as well as on YouTube and Facebook. So thanks for checking it out, and we hope to see you guys for another awesome podcast next time. <laughs>